0: welcome back to beyond the headline everyone i am truly ecstatic to have you with us on the show today because we're here with megan jones fell the chief science officer at headspace the meditation company an app that helps over 30 million people meditate as an entrepreneur, executive, and professor at Stanford, Megan has dedicated her life to helping equip all of us with the tools and the support that we need to navigate and better understand our mental health. Megan, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for all that you do. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We have a really fun chat plan today, but before we dive into meditation and all of the work that you're doing at Headspace, I'd love to have you share your early inspiration to really help all of us better navigate our mental health, because you've been doing this in a variety of ways since you were in college. What has been your personal intention building and growing tools like Headspace and your previous company, Lantern?
1: Um, well, I'd say for me, it started in a very personal way, which I think it does for for many of us. You know, the there's the statistics show that one in four um, adults have or have experienced a mental health disorder at some point in their life. So, for me, that was the case. Um, I had a I grew up with um, a mom that struggled with uh, mental health um, disorders and. And then ended up having my own um, experience with anorexia nervosa and depression when I was in high school and in my freshman year of college. And I recovered from that quite quickly, which to me felt like it meant that it could have been prevented. And so, and through the process of kind of learning to heal myself with incredible support um, in that process from you know, great therapists and treatment teams and friends and family i I wanted to really commit my life to preventing other people from going through the same thing and and if they and so a lot of my energy has been focused on building awareness around mental health, removing stigma from it, and trying to develop and scale access to effective interventions to prevent and treat mental health problems.
0: I really admire that aspect of your journey because, and you've shared this in previous interviews, you were very fortunate to be able to get the help and have the support of family and friends. And unfortunately, a lot of people can't do that or they don't have a support network. And you have, it's really incredible when you hear some of the Headspace stories and Lantern stories where you step in and you become that confidant and that companion for people. And that's life-changing.
1: Mm -hmm. It is. I think that, um, you know, the Surgeon General has talked about isolation as being kind of one of the leading problems in our society today um, and health problems specifically. So I think that's where, you know, our goal in using technology is to meet people where they are. And if they are isolated, then using something like an app can be incredibly helpful and it can Empower people to develop skills that let them go back into their lives in person and build relationships that ultimately hopefully carry them through in the future.
0: We're going to talk about this a lot more today and actually have it for later on in our chat. But I'm really glad that you brought that up because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot when it comes to headspace so the top five meditations on headspace are actually for managing anxiety self-esteem stress sleep and acceptance can you tell us a little bit about the purpose of the method those because it seems like and we actually are at like the best time in human history it doesn't always feel that way but when you look at the (laughs) statistics life has improved but it seems like we're all feeling more anxious and stressed and sleep deprived and not accepted
1: than we've ever Mm -hmm. been before I think that's a great point that you make um, because I, I think we're at our most overstimulated and if you look at the way that technology, that we use technology in our lives and the number of pieces of information that our brain has to process and digest on a daily basis, no wonder we're feeling stressed and having problems sleeping and anxiety is a natural kind of consequence of that. Um, if you look at the, the way that we're engaging with our social networks in a comparative way, you know, looking at other people's kind of highlights real rather than real life. Uh, I think that then self-esteem makes sense that people want to further invest in that. So I I think it's, I'd say that the way that we live our life is busier and the stimulation that we have is greater than it's ever been.
0: I completely agree on that note of, Stimulation, and even when it comes to the news cycle, for example, I had reached a point last year where I was just like, I can't take this anymore, I can't be this tuned in. And you know, at the end of every day or every time I go on a social media app, feel like, Oh my god, the world is crumbling! Like it really starts Mm -hmm. to impact you on a mental level,
1: yeah, it does.
0: Shifting back to what we were talking about, sorry for that diversion there. I was really excited to talk to you about that, and we'll dive in more in a couple of minutes here. You've talked about wanting mental health to be treated the same as physical health, and I loved the way you worded it, saying that we would never feel uncomfortable saying, hey, I'm heading to the gym, or I'm going to the farmer's market to pick up some veggies to make a salad. But we don't really feel comfortable talking about our mental health. What needs to happen for us to make that shift individually and as a society?
1: Well, I'd say like there's some great examples of it in the um, in the media right now. So like Serena Williams is what comes to mind. That's kind of fresh right now. She's been an amazing um, spokeswoman for showing vulnerability as a strong, respected you know, person in our society and talking about, like, you know, recently she was talking about the, her own like mental health, emotional struggle around balancing being a mom and her professional career as an athlete. And that, you know, it's hard. She never feels like she's spending enough time as a mom. And so acknowledging that it's an emotional battle and an experience is, it it helps introduce mental health-related words into our lexicon in a way that's not um, something to be ashamed of. It's part of a, you know, showing vulnerability in the context of it being a strength rather than a weakness. And so I think in order for society to change, influencers like her and others have a profound impact on helping normalize this as part of a regular conversation. And then I think that it's also you know, providing new experiences for people to share together. So, I, And I think this is one of the things that when I joined Headspace, I thought it did in, it incredibly well is um, people can talk about meditating without it implying that there's something broken in their life that they're trying to fix because you can meditate for enhancing benefits for a, you know, because you want to be more compassionate in the world, which is something that people you know, feel fine about talking about. And so I think that it's both, you know, modeling vulnerability. It's also, you know, creating opportunities for people to come together and recommend certain practices that help invest in your resilience.
0: I love the way you describe investing in practices that help contribute to your resilience i think that's a really powerful way to put it and i want to chat about that and about the benefits of meditation right after we kind of dive into what you were sharing first about serena because i think she is a really great example of what you were saying both then but also with that kind of comparison world that we're living in with social media i also follow her and watch the hbo series and i think for me which is obviously, you know, a naive thing to say, because of course she's human, but you look at someone like Serena and she does seem superhuman. And you don't think that she struggles with the same things that, you know, maybe I would feel like I struggle with. And I think it's been really powerful to see that side of her and the way that she's opened up and the way that that has empowered so many people in turn to kind of look at her and say, oh, wow, you know, I also felt that way. The response to the work that she's done in that regard, and maybe for her it's just sharing some things online or doing the HBO series, I think it has had an incredible ripple effect.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that a lot of leaders can probably relate to is everyone is expecting you to be a superhero and your experience is like, you feel like the opposite of that. It's like, you know, just waiting for balls to drop, um, or feeling like you're, you're getting, you know, a a B minus in certain areas, as opposed to like the A plus that everyone is expecting of you and that you expect of yourself. And so I think it's, It's really helpful to talk about that. I mean, there have been some conversations among, you know, like CEOs and founders of, you know, feeling very alone with that experience. And there's so much power and strength to be gained through acknowledging it and, you know, modeling, being able to ask for help and modeling, like, setting the boundaries that protect your well being. So I think that it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of positive, um, benefits around, you know, this, this shift that we're just starting to see in our culture and its relation to mental health.
0: There absolutely is. And when you think about the benefits going into some of the benefits of meditation, it really feels like the list is endless. It's from decreased stress to improved relationships, greater compassion, less anxiety, better sleep, and more. I think, we could probably talk for the rest of our conversation about the benefits of meditation. When you're first sharing with people, Megan, about why they should get started meditating or how it can rewire their brain and improve their life, what do you tell them?
1: I I think there's a there's a couple of things that I emphasize. Um, one is there's this dual effect in terms of that meditation has in in terms of both there's enhancing benefits so a lot of our research on headspace shows that headspace can you know improve um improve happiness improve sense of well-being improve resilience it also can um, decrease some of those things that we want less of in our lives like anxiety depressive symptoms um, stress feelings of burnout and 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 so there's this kind of, in both directions, you get lots of the things that, um, you know, are drains on our energy and more of those things that that give us energy. It also carries into how, and those are kind of internal experiences, the, the benefits of meditation also extend into how we act and interact in the world around us, particularly in our relationships with others. And, and I mean there, like our close relationships and the way that we interact with strangers in our communities, because the the research there, and we've done some really interesting social psychology experiments on this with academic partners, shows that Headspace, for example, can um, result in people acting in a more compassionate way to strangers. It can also result in people um, being less aggressive when they've been provoked, And so, and those are the things, of course, if everyone in the world was a little bit more compassionate and a little bit less aggressive, I think we'd agree that that's change that would be positive in society. And so I think it's really interesting with meditation to look at some of these internal experiences around you feel less stressed, you feel less anxious, um, you feel happier, you act differently. And then that also is mirrored with some of the physical health benefits that we're starting to see around meditation. I
0: love that you bring up the relationship to other people and the way that we show up. Because I think an example in my own life of trying to be more mindful that was not even really intentional, but I started to find that the days that I did yoga versus the days that I didn't, I was an incredibly nicer person. So if Mm -hmm. someone needed help with something, I was totally opening to helping and going above and beyond to help them. And then the days that I didn't do yoga, someone would ask me something very basic, like, can you let the dog out? Can you grab this? And I had this like riled up response of does it not look like I'm working or whatever it was. (laughs) And it just it changes how
1: you are. Yeah, I, I noticed the same thing in my life. I mean, on we have we have a regular meditation schedule at work that um, we really encourage people to participate in. We so do it at 10.05 and at 3.05 every day. And after that 10.05 one, someone comes up to me. I'm, like, trying to finish something. The two minutes I have between meetings, I can either react in, like, that I don't have time right now, um, or I can just, you know, be present in that moment where they're coming to me, as a leader, recognize how they see me. Cause that's important is understanding how you're perceived by others. And then you know, give, give them the feeling that I have time for them, even though I'm going to have to quickly say, you know, can we come back to this soon? I'm, I'm, I'm actually walking to another meeting right now. So I think it, it certainly helps me be show up, um, in every moment, much more present focused and, um, handle things in a way that's much more consistent with the way that I aspire to be as as a leader.
0: Describing it as the way you aspire to be is really the perfect way to say it, because I think when we look back on those interactions after we've had time to check in with ourselves and we're feeling peaceful, you do feel so much better about the way that you showed up for the people in your life and for yourself, I know a part of that, Megan, goes to, and this always just really mind boggles me, that meditation can actually help rewire our brain. How does that happen?
1: Well, that's actually, so and, and there's a lot of really interesting research in that area, and a lot has been done with experienced meditators. And there was recently a study um, that was just published, the Center of for Healthy Minds at Um, uh, That Richard Davidson runs, just published a study recently, and looked at um, groups, a couple of groups. One was experienced meditators, one were people who were new to the practice, but were meditating um, compared to those who had no meditation practice. And so as you might expect, there is what's called practice effect around some of these brain changes, meaning that the more meditation hours that you've done, the you know, more noticeable those changes are in your brain. And one of the things that their group and others have found is that meditation um, over time can change an area of our brain that's called the amygdala, which is really our emotional center of our brain. It's where we have that fight or flight response. It helps us um, notice things that are happening around us and dial up or down our reaction to them. So it's kind of, a, it, it relates to, how we interpret something salience or relevance to us. So, for example, if if I've been an experienced meditator, then I'm probably less reactive. And this relates to that that study I, I cited about headspaces. We saw people were less reactive to negative feedback after they meditated for a month. Um, we didn't have brain imaging in that study. We have it in some others, but you see the behavior is they act in a less aggressive way, the less reactive. And the neuroscience research shows that the amygdala is also less active in after a meditation practice, and so this the effects that we see in brain changes are really mirrored in people's actions.
0: It's incredible. How long does it take, Megan, to start seeing those changes in your brain? Like, if I started meditating right after our call today, how long would it take for me to kind of reach that more elevated state? Because I know that Headspace it,
1: has some yeah. numbers around that. Well, you know, I can share some numbers of what we've seen in terms of people's behavior. Um, the What we see at Headspace is that um, both of these studies, the compassion study, where people acted in a compassionate way towards other people, and um, that study that gave up a seat to someone who was... Um, look, And appeared to be in pain. And the other study, they um, acted in a less aggressive way when they'd been provoked. Um, Those were both after uh, three weeks of 10 minute a day meditation training. We tend to see an effect with Headspace on a lot of the outcomes around aggression, compassion, anxiety, depressive symptoms, you know, a lot of those mood related benefits happen after a month to eight weeks of in our case, 10 minute a day practice, which in reality is about three to four times a week um, for 10 minutes a day. Um, the neuroscience findings in terms of brain changes show that you are often, um, some of the, the reactivity to positive things happens faster than changing your reactivity to negative. That's a study that was just published. Um, and so, and that those effects, uh, you can Start to see those signals after briefer periods of training, but they're really the the more noticeable brain changes do take, you know, potentially like a thousand hours of meditation. Um, so I'd say, you know, but the interesting thing is we just may not notice what's changing in the brain, but it's reflected in how we feel and how we act. So some of those brain changes just take it needs to be a bigger effect to actually you know change the size or function of an area of our brain, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And I think, as you were saying, when you begin and with anything that has to do with mindfulness, this has always been what I wanted to share with people is if you just start doing those things, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's a gratitude practice, whatever feels right to you. Once you start seeing the benefits in your life, it becomes addicting, like you just want more of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, because you start to, part of the benefit of meditation is you're cultivating awareness. And so as you meditate, you're going to be, and and this is one of the common kind of concerns that people are starting is they say, well, when I meditate, I fall asleep or I feel sleepy. And what Andy, our co-founder would say about that, who's a former Buddhist monk, is that meditation isn't making you sleepy. It's making you aware of how tired you actually are. And so I think you know, when you start to learn and cultivate awareness, you're, you're aware of, of what feels different, um, in terms of feeling happier, um, acting in a way that's more consistent with how you aspire to be. Um, and, and so it helps you really see this contrast between when you are taking that time to invest in your well being and resilience and, and when you're kind of it's slipping off your priority list and the consequences of that. So I think, and we see that in people's engagement with headspace, we see them kind of come back and forth in and out of the meditation um, routine. And a lot of that, when they kind of, they do it, they're feeling good. They say, I don't need it anymore. And, Oops, actually I do. I want to come back because when I'm not regular in my practice, I see these other ramifications of, I start to snap at my spouse. I, you know, I'm not as present. You know, when I'm playing with my child, I'm thinking about my email as opposed to really being in that moment with him. So I, I think as people start to learn to be aware of those experiences, they see that contrast and really can understand why it's worth investing in a routine around this.
0: The routine is so important. And I'm glad you bring up that notion of starting that journey because that's something I was really excited to talk to you about today so just using myself as an example when it comes to meditation there's always kind of like two things that have come to mind in terms of starting the practice and like I've shared I've gone on and off or doing it for three months and not sort of like you were describing with the headspace journey but the two things are always first that feeling of sitting down quietly and then I'm like thinking about everything I'm like oh my god So many things are happening right now in my brain. And then the other thing, which I was sharing with you before, is I think we have a big misconception that meditation means you are sitting on a pillow and levitating and you are completely zen in your life and nothing bothers you. How do you help people get over those hurdles to start?
1: I think that's one of the places where we've really tried to use creativity um, and you know this this kind of playfulness that the Headspace brand has to help people, um, you know, realize that your you know your brain thinks you're not going to necessarily clear your mind of thoughts, and so some of these expectations around like sitting on a pillow and eating or even having to sit on the floor with your legs crossed, that might be very uncomfortable for you. They they may be. If you're looking at, you know, some spiritual forms of practice, there may be certain parameters that are part of those practices, but they don't necessarily need to be represented in a meditation or mindfulness practice that, you know, an everyday person non spiritual reasons creates where you're i'm meditating to to learn this as a technique to help improve my health and happiness and so we're trying to help introduce you know um kind of easier front doors into this practice and where you go with that is is up to you you could stay at 10 minute or five minute even a day meditator um you know, forever, or you could build on that practice and extend it. Um, But, you know, what we try to help people understand when when they're approaching this as something new to try is that you're going to feel as you sit, you're going to pay attention. You're going to pay attention to your thoughts, and there are going to be a lot of them that come in and out and feel like they're, you know, directing your attention in ways that you can't control. And the practice is learning to observe that, and change how you're relating to those thoughts. So rather than you know, kind of jumping and grabbing onto every single one of them, you're over time. And this is where it's something that's a skill to be practiced and learned. It's not something that you sit down and you're immediately a master. This takes a. It, you can get a benefit immediately, but to really learn the skill, it's like you know building a muscle. Um, and so it's not like you go to the gym and lift a hundred pound weight, right? You're training and building that over time. And so it's the same thing with your mind. And, and that part of that practice means you're going to hear a noise. That's going to be distracting. You're going to notice that your back hurts. That's going to be distracting. And and it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means it's an opportunity to learn to notice that and bring your attention back to your breaths or the visualization that you're doing. I love the way that
0: you talk about the front doors because I think for me in more recently learning a lot about Headspace and following the content that your team is producing, which is phenomenal and has helped me personally a lot in my life, there have been those questions that you've posed or insights that you shared that were the front door for me. So last night I text my best friend and I was like, you know, no more of this on and off with meditation. I'm going to do it because your team gave me that comfort that I didn't have to levitate. I mean, it would be cool, but (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm
0: I'm not going to focus on that for the beginning. What was your personal journey like, Megan, into meditation and building the habit for yourself?
1: So for me, it was, and, and I think this is where I can really empathize with a lot of our Headspace members. For me, it was kind of a... I need to do this because something is not working for me about the way I'm living my life. And then, and so for me, it started when I was in graduate school, I was like very, I'm very driven. I set super high expectations. I'd gotten myself extremely overcommitted. And then I had a ton of, um, very stressful circumstances in my personal life um, with with serious illness among family members. And so I was starting to get, you know, very severe migraines, which I'd never had before and no one in my family has. So um, my neurologist said to me, you know, I don't usually have to say this to you psychology types, but you need to change something about how you deal with stress. And so I realized that I was learning and, um, you know, teaching and guiding other people in my life and how to have you know good well-being and mental practices I wasn't applying it to myself and I needed to learn something that I could integrate and so that's when I, I went through um, this you know mindfulness training and 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 I had been doing yoga I did more of that but I started a meditation practice at that time and um, and it helped in so many different ways I mean I for me I it led me to have seen as this ritual and this routine in my day that was an anchor and that I could come back to in all of the stressful moments. So for me, I've always made time for myself in the morning. I'm just a morning person and I like kind of starting the day that way. And so I've started the day with a meditation practice, um, you know, most of my life since that point. And um, you know, sometimes I'll go for a run, you know, I, I add in other things alongside it. So I have kind of a more comprehensive health routine in my mornings. But for me, it's been this place of respite in my mind that if I'm in a difficult meeting or something hard is happening and I I need to maintain composure and I need to act in a deliberate and clear way in a certain situation that's stressful, I can go back to that place that I've visited just that morning, which makes it familiar. And I know the way there I can go back to my breath. I can go back to that calm kind of centered place and, and approach the challenging things in my life from a much more grounded place. So for me, I've just, I've put it to use in a way that's been incredibly helpful. And I've also had times where I've fallen off the wagon and Um, you know, where my routine has totally changed. Like I had a baby, I moved, I've traveled a lot, you know, those are all, um, you know, kind of threats to our routines, um, and an opportunity to build new ones. It's also an opportunity to see this, this contrast of when I'm doing it, this is how I, this is what I feel like and, and how I act. And then this is what it's like when I don't. So I need to find a way back there.
0: I want to break that down in a couple of ways, but before we do, I want to thank you for being so honest about sometimes falling off the bandwagon, because I think it's fantastic that you are that open about that and it makes everyone feel more comfortable that we're all human and we're doing the best we can. Starting out, Megan, with what you were saying about stress, I feel like we're living in a time and it's shifting a little bit and I hope that it will shift more, but where stress and being busy and being overcommitted is like this badge of honor, but it's not a badge mm-hmm. of honor because stress has terrible you know, repercussions to our health both immediately and in the long term. How do you try to help people shift their perspective in that regard to do- be completely honest. I used to think that being busy and doing more and more and more was being successful. And if there ever was any downtime, I was like, I'm not doing enough.
1: Yeah. You know, for me, I, I can share, you know, how I would guide someone in that. I, for me, I felt like, I feel like I just came out of a deep from our culture. I grew up in Silicon Valley. I lived in San Francisco. Um, I've always been in very competitive environments. and I was living in Europe for the last five years. And my social network there were all scientists, doctors, business people, like founders of companies. Like I had my same social network there of like high achievers. But they, no one wore stress and busyness as a badge of honor. And it was something that friends would talk to my husband and I, like, this is a problem that you work so much or that you travel so much. And they would bring it up with concern for us and our well-being. So it became something that I was like, oh, I'm a little embarrassed about this, or I'm not it, it gave me a completely different cultural lens to look through. And coming back into, you know, California and you know, being able to kind of go back. Back and forth was really interesting for me as a psychologist and just personally seeing that contrast of cultures. And I think for me, I now and what I'd advise to others is, you know, especially if you're in a lead role, I'd think about it as your responsibility to help model behaviors that you know will benefit your your own well-being, but also that of your team. And it's not just about well-being, right? Like, I know my team will have better collaboration across our company if they are showing up at work every day as their best selves, right? If they're patient, if they're compassionate, if they can hear another perspective, if they're aware of their biases, um, if they're more focused and prioritizing the things that they should. And these are all things that can kind of trickle, you know, are the ripple effects of a meditation practice. So I think it's about, you know, recognizing that, you know, we are kind of in position always of we don't need to go along like in the school of fish. We can swim the other direction and pull the culture along with us by modeling an alternative.
0: I so appreciate that Your team is doing that and you posted a question a while back on Instagram saying, have you made some time to look after your mind today? And that really stood out to me because I realized that we make time for everything else. Like we were just saying that busyness is a badge of honor, but we don't make enough time or sometimes even any time to look after ourselves, whether that's through meditation or exercise or reading a book. You know, we consider those things as extra things, like you get to it if you have time. But, I, you know, I really hope we can see a shift where we look at our lives more holistically, not just about work.
1: You know, I think you could, I, I often use an um, analogy to athletes, right? Like you would never expect a, a, an elite athlete to be at their top performance in competition if they hadn't slept enough or eaten well or, you know, taken time to get in the right headspace before competition. So why would you expect yourself in like, an a corporate athlete world to do anything different I mean we we kind of we have to play by the same rules and so I think thinking about the amount of time that an athlete spends in training and recovery is a helpful um, way to look at at your life um, you know regardless of your profession I love that
0: and when you think to I mean I think that can even go back to the larger, conversation around mental health because if you want to perform at that high level, you do have to get into that headspace. You know, when you see athletes before a game, that's what they're doing. They're not exactly. like lifting intense weights or doing anything like that. It's really about how am I gonna get into the mindset to go out and perform right now, I'm excited to shift gears to one of the really, really exciting announcements that Headspace made this summer, which really blew me away, which is Headspace Health. And that's a division that you're leading and you're actually going to use and prescribe meditation as medicine. It's a remarkable step forward. Can you tell us more about your team's intention with that and how you envision it evolving?
1: Absolutely. So, what we we Headspace started a subsidiary company called Headspace Health, and as part of that, um, we are building new products. So, it's actually a portfolio of apps that will be each app will be designed, um, you know, scientifically, clinically designed for a specific therapeutic area, a specific disease state. Um, we're considering both mental and physical health. We're really focused on chronic conditions. And what's different about this is the app is, of course, going to include meditation. It will include other product features as well. Um, but it will be very tailored to the disease area. And so in developing that, we're working with patient advocacy organizations. We're doing research with, with patient communities, physicians. Um, and and a number of different experts in the the disease area. And so we have a lot of science going into that, you know, R&D process for the products development. And because we're designing these things to be apps as, um, as treatments to help manage, um, to help, you know, people manage their health condition. Often, you know, what we're, the way that this is actually going to be used is more in an adjunct capacity so that we're trying to, you know, empower patients to have an experience of managing their illness in a way that they're more in control of and doesn't rely on medications, though in many cases, you know, patients will be recommended to, to do both. Um, and so, because these apps are intended to be much more clinical, um, we're anticipating that FDA and the feedback we've gotten is that FDA will consider us to be a medical device, software uh, as a medical device, and therefore we'll need FDA clearance um, in order to to commercialize these and make them available.
0: And so that would be around 2020, right? I think that's when I read you guys were thinking about
1: that's when we anticipate um, wrapping up our process for this first um, app that we're developing. And um, for us, it's really a pipeline. We focus we have about a dozen different areas that were therapeutic areas that we're focused on. And so as soon as we you know get one in a clinical trial, we'll start product development for the next one and um, and so forth. So, what what we already know from our consumer app is that we can have a real benefit on both physical and mental health and that those, um, and, you know, in a number of patient populations, we've shown that Headspace can help improve quality of life. So we're really trying to dial that up a couple notches and show an impact on the disease state itself.
0: I am really so, so excited to see that evolve. And I so appreciate the work that your team does in sharing all of your findings. It gets me really excited. And I think it's very motivating, too. I know a big part of this, obviously, now and down the line, too, will be meditation as preventative health care. So, Megan, could meditation almost be like taking a multivitamin for me?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's certainly um, what we hope it becomes. You know, we know we have Uh, A lot of people are coming to us with more of an acute need state, like, you know, I need an Advil or I need, you know, something stronger um, to help me right now make this bad thing less bad. But we hope that that what that becomes is, you know, like what I've experienced in my own personal journey is I had a pretty intense need state. I need to get these migraines gone. But what I found is something that was a routine that just helped me in so many different areas of my life. And so that's that is the journey that we want to partner with our members on and you know what we're committed to doing is just trying to create the ideal experience that helps people build these healthy routines.
0: And I think for me in thinking about headspace and building that lifelong routine is that ultimately meditation and you had a great insight, I don't remember if this was on the site or on social media, but that taking A deep breath actually literally expands you because your lungs expand and so it creates space for you. But I think that meditation and that time with yourself to really kind of quiet down, it lets you be more fulfilled because you actually feel empowered and able to create the life that you want to live. You don't have to just be swimming with the fish like you were saying
1: you know, it also shines a light on the great life that you had. Like you made this point earlier in our conversation that like life is actually better right now. Are we slowing down and taking the time to notice the the many ways in which we do have amazing lives and we have amazing relationships? And, you know, I think for me, that's one of the most profound things is when I meditate, I am so much more present in moments with my son, moments with my team at work, um, with my husband, my family generally. And I feel so much happier when I take that time and just have that change in perspective.
0: It definitely is a change in perspective. And I was reading, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this far before I did, but I guess there was some study that was saying that meditation and mindfulness kind of gives you this like one second period between making a decision And by having that one second, you can choose how you want to show up. And I think that just makes a world of a difference. And I'm so grateful for your team because you've really inspired me to be more habitual about meditation. And so I'm excited to keep you posted with building that habit and getting to tick off my days on Headspace. Before I let you go, Megan, I'd love to know... From you like what are three things that listeners can do today right after listening to our conversation even to be more mindful like how can they get started on the journey
1: so i'd say you know if you are completely new to this practice start small and set very achievable goals and expect to be distracted but so i'd say start with like a five minute meditation we have very very short, brief meditations on the Headspace app, and those are a great first taste. I think another great first step is to do like some mindfulness in motion. We've partnered up with Nike to design audio-guided runs. We also have Mindful Walk, and for many people um, who feel like their mind is just too busy, moving can be a more accessible way of starting to get a feel for this practice, Um, and then I'd say uh, just learning how to wind down is another easy way that I know is is quite approachable for many people. Um, we have sleep sounds that we've created in our app that are so you can kind of passively um, listen rather than necessarily learning a, a, you know, a meditation practice more formally. And so I think any of these things can be the seedlings of routines that you add on to over time.
0: I love how you mentioned the word seedling. That is the perfect way to describe it because just by planting that seed and getting started with those three things, whether it's the five minutes or it's creating a little ritual for yourself to wind down at lunch or at night or taking a walk and doing a meditation, which I love to do. Being in nature really makes the experience so special. They all will lead you to kind of see the sprouts of that and they'll grow into kind of these incredible things that enrich your life. I am so, so grateful that we got to get together today, Megan. And I so appreciate the work that your team is doing and I'm really looking forward to following everything that you're working on and the impact you're making. You always have a ton of great content coming out, whether it's studies or articles or Instagram posts, what's the best way for everyone to stay up to date with you and also stay up to date with Headspace?
1: Um, I think it's part joining our community. so we're we're part of all you can you can join the headspace, um, the everybody Headspace community on Facebook, on Instagram, and I think um, those are probably the best places to meet us um, or sign up for the app and join our our member community that way.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much.
1: All right, thank you. <laughs>